justify to you fully applied mood side for me. Say to you, my new neighbor, is you must move on, or I will bury you. And this land is your land, this land is my land, from California to the New York Island. From the redwood forest to the Gulf Stream waters, this land was made. Now build heaven and call it. Welcome to another edition of Michael L. Craver Presents. It is July 27th. It is 4.12 a.m. I'm in the midst of this. The king of swing is, is, is what uh, somebody called me recently. <laughs> I said, well, maybe. Spotify has been... A lot of people listen on Spotify. I see the numbers, etc. But it's become a friend of mine. I noticed as I was walking through the um, conference room the other day that uh, they will be increasing the premium price of Spotify to ten ninety nine a month. And I was explaining to someone, I said, you know, I'm going through this dilemma. I have this um, changeover in my life where I have gone from uh, working during the the sunlight hours to those Nosferatu kind of, you know, vampire hours that I have, which, you know, it was pointed out to me. This, well, <laughs> if the shoe fits, you know. And, and I appreciate uh, peace and quiet. So the nights are wonderful. You know, I, I love recording the podcast at night. It's a big thing for me to, you know, enjoy movies, music, and otherwise at night, right? There's no white noise, no traffic, no anything to sort of pull you away. It's got that purity, that innocence to it. And that's the way I've described several of the the moments of sort of awakening that I've had in my life over the last several months. Is this, I've been able to restore this um, sense of innocence back into how I look at, you know, the world. I've, you know, you work hard and Hopefully something comes from that. Um, what is this? Admiral Nelson's coconut rum. Um, you, you work hard and hope that um, you're lucky enough to see the risk turn into reward. And um, several things have happened in the last, well, really... Um, month beginning june the 24th so it's it's been quite um interesting in my life i live this crazy schedule for like four days a week i i'm up and i'm just you know destroying the night 
and uh, earning a living and having a great career doing that. But when that time ends, because I do that for four days and then three days, I'm I'm free. I'm out of Shawshank. Well, somehow this thunderstorm that I give my circadian rhythm is the circadian rhythm, the pattern by which your your heart rests and is in motion and stuff, right? Well, if you sleep one way for four days of the week and then you live <laughs> during the daytime hours the other three days of the week, hmm, you would think, you know, there's constant, almost, uh, we'll come up with a word on this podcast, right? We have the interesting vocabulary that just comes out of the woodwork, the subconscious lottery. But uh, jet lag is the term that comes to mind, right? That jet lag, you go from one sort of time zone, time period, time place to another. And I feel quite interesting, to be honest. And this was, the biggest test was this week. It wasn't last week. Last week I worked almost 60 hours, 58 hours across four days, and it was just a wicked you know, 17 hours one day, got went straight to bed and back up again and 17 hours the next day. And that was, that was 34 of the 60, right? That was the majority of it. Um, wow. You know, it, it's just, it's a balancing act in, in those cases to stay replenished, to get enough food and liquids between and rest in between. And then you can go back to, um, making a living or, you know, that I, I'm responsible for working roughly 40, 44-ish hours a week. That's it. Everything else I am signing up for, putting myself on the ballot, so to speak, and I'm out there, you know, just beating it down. I think I've, I put pictures of this in several places, LinkedIn and otherwise, last week that I did somewhere neighborhood I, th- I think the exact number is 107,247 steps uh, in those four days roughly 62 miles that I put in it's uh pretty healthy right I don't feel 41 looking at numbers like that but when I went to bed <laughs> woke back up on Wednesday I I felt 41 and then some and that thing where they spank you and say one to grow on, yeah, this was that was one to recover from. My joints, everything. Maybe if I drank more water, I, I would, you know. They say that's good for joint pain. Uh, I have a leave. You know, there's other things that people use, but I um I feel really good about everything. I you know feel more physically fit than ever. I'm earning a, a pretty decent living. I'm doing it in a very, very honest way. It's, it's, it's grueling work. But this wild duplicity of existence where, you know, on work days, I'm, I'm up all night and asleep during the day. And on my days off, I it's kind of a hybrid at night, but I'm awake during the day. I'm doing my thing. And uh, it's one of those craver things. I have it. My father has it. My sons, you know, can just... Fall asleep wherever we are, and it's it's a different kind of 
peace and serenity. And I've, those are words that I've used often about how I feel about life, you know. It's kind of serenity, you know, the last... Several weeks, I tried to do some wonderful things with the opportunities created for me. I've um, volunteered quite a few days at the the mission. That's been, it's fun. The, the guys know me as a regular now. I also um, have quite enjoyed where I've taken and, and spread a little bit of good fortune around. My daughter turned 15, and... Uh, so we're trying to, you know, take everybody to dinner and feed everybody and maybe spoil her just a little bit. My best friend up in uh, Michigan, I sent him something unexpectedly. That was whew, that was interesting. As a person who loves wrestling, wrestling belts, and otherwise, um, the the backstory on this is I was going to travel to. Clarkston, is it Clarkston? Clarkston, Michigan for a Noel Gallagher concert. And get hydrated a little bit. So the Noel Gallagher concert was to be uh, just about the time I had ordered this belt for John. Well, I messaged him at the last minute because I didn't tell him we were going to do something. And um, come to find out, old old John didn't even get off work. <laughs> and so I had planned to drive 10 hours up there, enjoy the show, present him with his 40th birthday present, and and drive back. And he said, no, 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 we'll, we'll do it another time. And I was like, no, Calico won't come back to the U.S. for like two more years. Anyway... Um, his present did not arrive on time in a, a day, the day I would have left, uh, it came and it was, it's just the nicest, um, almost kept it anyway. That's the moral of the story. It was a great wrestling belt. And, uh, as a, as a connoisseur, as a person who loves, uh, good things, uh, Fondue is the name of the company, F-A-N-D-U, Fondue Wrestling Belts. And they make some of the older Designs, I guess, that they can uh, legally still make and sell. Just the best. It had this wonderful leather strap to it. The, the plates were just as thick as could be. It's bright, shining, whatever. And after John got it in the mail, he wrote me that you know, it was just the nicest thing, and we exchanged some pleasantries. And you know, He's not one to accept charity or you know, even a gift without something in return. So, so we exchanged a few uh, commodities. And... Some of it being music and movies and things of this nature. But he um, was telling me how the cat wouldn't stop staring at this belt. It's got a giant eagle on it. And he's in, in the, the cat is fixated, fixated on this uh, this eagle. On this, uh, what it is, is the WWW, three W's, F belt from uh, the early 80s. And uh, it's big, it's bold. It's bigger than a, the grill on a car. And uh, I just, I had so much fun when I saw it. I knew he would enjoy it as well. Um, sitting here looking, I have several different notes about things. I plan to, what was I going to work in first? Well, 
Yeah, I mean, that's maybe that's what's going on right now outside my window. I've written here, the sound of success. Well, you know, I just... I was explaining to someone that that is very much um, where you can hear the peace and quiet. It's the sound of the fire pit. It's the the oddities that go on like around the house and otherwise where um, you don't have to worry about like the hustle and bustle and the fight and everything else the way that sometimes people do with um, I don't know they're just having a you know a busy life is wonderful but being able to have that tranquility, that sort of quiet peace, is something that I find irreplaceable. I've always found that. I've, and I, I think some people, you know, they, they try to acquire money and property and things and then move out into the wilderness. Or, yeah, that's what I want. I want to move off the grid. And da, 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 da. You know. And I understand some of that. I mean, that's, that, that may go along with what I'm describing. For other people, the sound of success might be the sound of a Lamborghini engine or something. Um, it's different for, for different folks because their goals are also individualized. And I, I don't look at anybody's, you know, one or the other as being the superior idea. But for me, the sound of success sounds like nothing. Sounds like quiet. And, uh, you know, Thursday mornings, like, for instance, my father and his brothers get together um, in a family effort to sort of spend time with some of folks, right? And get that quality time together. My uncles are all older. My dad's the youngest brother. And so having that breakfast is, is wonderful. Um, I enjoy, you know, the chance to... Um, just hear people's stories, and it says, as my father says, you know, hey, it's good to see you. And he always says, it's good to be seen, you know. And I think that's what uh, the breakfast is all about. Sometimes we're making plans, but not much. And it's it's just interesting, I suppose, to hear, you know, what everybody else is up to. And, you know, there's different things with golf or charity or, hey, did you hear about so-and-so? What's what's going on with a, a building or some kind of project that's going on, something of this nature? And sometimes it's just like a health update or, you know, know everybody's happy and healthy. Hasn't I was just thinking that. It hasn't rained yet in the morning when we go to meet, so maybe it's it's always sunny at breakfast, you know. I just, I enjoy the community aspect of having... Everybody together. Now, the, for somebody else, the sound of success, when I was in a restaurant, it would be completely different. It would be that little white noise, that wave that goes over. When the place is busy and it's buzzing, you can just... You can hear everybody is constantly having a conversation, and every seat is full. And that's the sound of volume. It's the sound of a you know a booming business. That is a different sound of success. And I, I welcome each of those things. I've been in each one of those seats, you know, where one thing is more significant than the other, and that's your the soundtrack of your success, so to speak.
I quite enjoy seeing other people be successful. Having that um, business to add to their balance sheet. Now I've made some friends who have done podcasts and things of this nature. They have an ongoing business. Maybe you've got somebody who's running for an office or something of that nature. That in and of itself is, you know, that's a noble ambition. That's a, that's a wild sort of task and uh, hill to climb. I don't know that, you know, people really appreciate the kind of sacrifices that people make. Now, there's a lot of folks who get into situations without knowing what the risk versus reward is. They have no idea the uh, level of, of commitment they're making. And some of that means that they're making a very light commitment. They think it's just, you know, the end of the world, and they're wrong sometimes. Folks sign up for something, and, oh, man, this is easy. Okay, we'll do, do something else with your resources. But I lived that way for a long time, where I did the easiest thing I could and um, just, you know, worked in restaurants, and so I slept all day and wake up maybe 8, 10, 12, maybe 2 or 3 or 4. I'm closing the restaurant, I'm getting paid cash, I'm good. I don't need all the the nonsense of waking up for the 8 to 5 and this and that and the other. And now I've lived a completely different existence where I had you know a different position six months ago and had to be up every morning at uh, 5 a.m. That's its own beast, especially going into this climate and this heat and this everything else. As, as much as I preach about consumption and doom and gloom, yeah, I'm living it, right? Because I'm working out in the elements, first thing in the morning and so forth. And I just, I don't think that other people always experience things the same way. So you can share your story, and but until they have the same recipe... It's hard for them to really get a good taste of things. Hey, what what's in your chicken dish over here? They give you every portion where they you know, grew the rice at. <laughs> it would not mean that you know exactly how it tastes. It would not give to me any inclination that you could imagine with any accuracy how good it tastes. You may say, well, I, okay, I like these elements. I like something like that. I've heard of things that sounded like that. I like them. But until you're in the same boat with somebody, you know, or as they say for, for dating purposes, those of you out there, listening on that front uh, until you live with someone you don't really know someone I'd say that's somewhat true I've often said that um, 
a good litmus test, a good little a test drive, so to speak, for your relationship would be to take a road trip together. Whether you're riding to the beach or whatever you might be doing, um, with the clear understanding, you know, we're not going to let the radio distract us, and you're not going to be, you know, drinking the whole way or whatever. And you you got a two. <laughs> that's not a bad word. Two sober people focusing on each other give you a real healthy, pure dose of you know whatever the reality of your companionship is. I think that you know I, because I don't do much in the way of being fuzzy at any given time. I've always had a pretty good and, and pretty clear perception of the world. I mean, despite the fact that I've got a glass of uh, rum over here. Or just, what is this? This is toasted caramel whiskey, I think, that's next to it. There's a bottle of that. There's Evan Williams down there and Bacardi. I'm pretty sure when I'm done consuming the things that are in the bottles in my house, I'm not going to buy any more alcohol. I don't drink to be intoxicated or to get a buzz or whatever else. I, it was an interesting, uh, I don't know, experiment for to see if it added to my perception of the world. It has not. I mean, I, I've never sat down and gotten stupid wasted or anything anyway, but I, I think that could only... Uh, devalue my way of looking at the world. I don't see how in any way, shape, or form that would enhance anything. I don't carry around a bunch of burdens or um, you know, bad trauma or otherwise. It's some sort of mechanism that I have, I think, that you know, I've totaled cars and I've had relationships that were not the best thing I ever had. I've had some very unpleasant working conditions. I've had some ugly disagreements with people, I think. I don't let them loom. I don't think anybody should. If you think that you need to hold on to them because they're a learning lesson or there's something, then what's the lesson to take from it? Write that lesson down, and then that's... A, a new statement, motto, otherwise for you. And then you can let the memory of it um, find its way out. You don't need to carry around some... Uh, Uh, when in the old days they had, you know, the little, or at least in the magic movies and stuff, right? They have these potions or people in the 60s that carry around acid and LSD and stamps and stuff, right? And, you know, and I'm sure people have all kinds of things in baggies nowadays. But think about it like that. You are a person who has this thing that happened to you, and you carry around this potion that at any given time you can be 
taken back there. You can take that like the acid. You can take a trip back to the ugly thing that happened to you. Why? Why? I don't think anybody wants bad mojo with anybody else. I, I don't know of anybody like that. If you make a lot of money off of fights or something, and you know maybe you would want to stir up some nonsense. But even if you watch modern-day boxing or UFC or otherwise, they are very quick to be formidable opponents and talk about how they they talked a good fight, et cetera, et cetera. Did a lot of business. Now they're friends because they made money together. I'm sure that there's people who genuinely dislike each other and they'll never see eye to eye because of perhaps they feel in that uh, the other person views them in some unflattering way, whether it's inferior or whatever that might be, right? You know, I agree with their way of life. And that's been sort of the way that battles were fought across history, that the Christians didn't agree with how the Muslims lived their lives and these folks didn't agree with the Christians and these folks are going to impose their will on somebody else. They're going to cross their border. They're going to enslave somebody or otherwise. But we now, you know, we're reaching more and more of a, of a total world of, of that being, um, let, it's too visible. It's that it's become less possible. And where it is happening, most people avoid. They wouldn't live there. They've tried to speak out about it, but they're not, you know, lacing up boots and going after those governments and, and such with guerrilla warfare. We're not going to step into China and tell them how to treat people. We can strongly suggest that they do something different, but it's their culture, it's their country. So we tell them, and then we agree to disagree, as they say. But... I think that when you have two people who don't get along and they make money off of it, like, you know, with wrestling or boxing or whatever else, it's hard to to not acknowledge that the person on the other side of that equation has been able to, whether your business um, adversaries or whatever it might be, it's hard to forget to not be very aware that that other person has um, been part of the avenue uh, for you being more comfortable in your life and in some way you have to have some humility about that to thank them for you know the the journey that you've been on and what they meant to you being stronger or, or having more wealth whatever that gain might be man that teacher was really hard on me but i'm glad you know my dad was really hard on me but such and such and such you know maybe somebody mistreated you and you forgave them because of the journey that you've been on because it's something with where you look at it through a Christian or a forgiveness sort of perspective. And you go, you know, I, I don't like the way this situation turned out with me and this person. I saw it this way. They saw it that way. And I was very hurt by it. And they're, they're not hurt by it. I just don't. Well, every situation is not going to be experienced from the same point of view. Not everybody's going to take away from it that way. If you had a date or some, you know, instance with someone where you you feel slighted or wronged or 
you know, I, I don't wish that on anybody. But look at it both ways and say, well, did the other person do that? To did they intentionally try to disrupt my life and and impose negative will on me or take advantage of of whatever you know good graces I put myself in? And for the most part, that's always going to be no. There's a misunderstanding. This person uses stronger language. Oh my God, they're they're attacking me. Nah, generally speaking, that's not the case. They don't always know their strength. They may be doing something to be experimental and to try to push the boundaries with you. They told a joke that then went too far. I just don't like the way he said that to me. It made me feel a certain way. Well, was, okay, now, did he know what the outcome was going to be? Are you taking a chance? He's taking a chance, you're taking a chance. You tried to be really thoughtful. He wasn't receptive of it. Hurt your feelings that he didn't like the gift you gave him. Ah. You know? But we, we talk about it. You know. Oh my goodness, you know. You know, you season something a little too much and then when you go to sit down and eat, you think, ah, this is... Mm. Mmm, the recipe's just, mmm, it's just not perfect. It's a little, it's coming off wrong in that area. Well, I don't think anybody meant to give you bad food. I don't think anybody meant to hold your hand too tight. Or maybe you screamed at somebody. You you didn't mean to scream at them and make them feel that way. You were just, you were getting it out. And they were there. You never meant to hurt them. Right. You know. People do all kinds of playful things. People do all kinds of things when they're playing sports with each other. Your kids are going to play soccer and football and baseball. Somebody's going to slide into somebody or push somebody underneath the boards in basketball. And yeah, somebody's going to get a skin knee or otherwise in the in the sport the spirit of competition, so to speak, the sport uh, analogy. And everybody wants to to go home happy and healthy. I don't think anybody meant for the other person to come off as uh, injured or for them to be scarred for the rest of their life. That's absolutely the last thing that people intend. Have I said some... I've given some pretty good feedback, I think, to people, but I've also been accused of saying... You know, uh, you choose words that, I don't know, it just made me feel some kind of way. Like, I, well, I, I don't know what those words mean to you, the way that I know what they mean to me, but I can say to you in a playful way, you know, here's this. And you can say it with a smile, a grin, speak with your hands, body language, the emphasism, the, the voice, the enunciation of it, whatever. And then there's other things, you know, especially in modern worlds where you text everything, where, you know, somebody just gives it its own voice and now you're not in control of it anymore. You just put it out there. There's certain folks, you know, I'm sure they go on a date and they think, well, I was, I was going to kiss the other person like this and they, mm, they, they kissed me like that. Like, ah, it's just not what I was thinking. And you, in a way, you're agreeing to take a chance, and they're agreeing to take a chance, and you didn't, 
sit down and brainstorm about it. It's two people trying to have something organic happen. Maybe you both try to dance and you, you know, move in the wrong direction and you either both fall down or you both hit your heads or step on each other's feet, whatever it might be. You got to look at the innocence of things. You know. And people do these raunchy things in today's society too, where you know, they, they talk a certain way and they have premium accounts on services. And, not just streaming services like your audio services or Amazon uh, Prime. I don't have it, but uh, you know these these other things where you can be upgraded. And I'm sure that personal subscriptions to things where people have these adult, not safe for work kind of shenanigans going on. That's a different mindset that people have, and they look at you know, oh my goodness, I have this kind of access to you know. But there's a lot of of this complicated layering that goes into these things. I don't know that entitled is the right word, but there's certainly some sort of a mental bridge that people start to build between themselves and what they believe they're engaging in, what they're paying for, so to speak. And so now you've created this barrier of entry this or this pay window that has now bridged their barrier of entry now they're in now where does the access stop where what then becomes something that is that they are not uh for, i don't know the word i'm going to use is entitled to what are they not entitled to where they, they'll get whatever i give them and da 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 and da da and uh what what about the customers always right you know they it, it, when you mix these these business and personal and you know, intimate settings all together, it becomes ugly. And, you know, if you're talking to somebody and you start talking a certain way, I don't look at that like a coupon to fool around and, and say, well, you know, we talked about going to Europe next summer. Are we not going to go? We were having a conversation. Wouldn't it be nice to go? Maybe we'll work out the details. You know, you're flirting with somebody. What if? Yeah? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Doesn't mean that everybody's going to feel the same way that, you know, things are just going to, doors will unfold and crevices will be discovered. And it, it, it's conversation. It's daydreaming. It's, you know, kids sit down and they listen to records and wonder what if. Does that mean the world owes them anything? No! So if Lisa and Larry and Bobby and Mo and Tammy and whoever are sitting down and having conversations. Hey, girl. <laughs> oh, yeah. I'm a good kisser. Does that mean you're going to get a kiss? Hell no, it don't. Just talking. Yeah, we should. We should go fishing sometime. And <laughs> it never happens. Because a lot of details got to be worked out. Oh, you guys went out on the boat? Yeah. Oh, well, next time we go, maybe we'll take you. Oh, okay. Well, next time they go, they're going to take me. He said maybe. 
if you're still friends, if the circumstances work out, like, it doesn't work that way. And and I understand like the the, the um, reservation that people can have to. Well, I don't talk about you know what. And here's the here's the issue that you run into in those situations. Whatever you will not discuss, then becomes the most sacred thing. That becomes your top priority because it's behind whatever barrier of entry is behind all of the hurdles and you've have put that away in the vault and you've not put the other thing away in the vault so that you know the death of your loved one and your pet and your you know deepest fears and childhood trauma and everything that's come out you know you've as they say you've taken the chance to bear your soul to somebody okay is that the most important thing it uh, yes it is all right well, then why is the taboo thing, whatever it might be, maybe it's sex, right? Why is that be- behind everything else if it's not the most important thing? You, know, you understand what I'm saying here. You move the, the end zone way out here. Well, the end zone is where you score the touchdown, you know, metaphorically. And so if you've made it through everything else, then this is the clear objective, it's above all other things. If it's not, why is it put up and away? I'm not telling you to go out and be promiscuous because I think that is reckless as hell. However, what I'm saying is you should have a good explanation if someone was to bring this argument to your doorstep and say, Hey, how come we haven't kissed yet? Well, you know, I'm waiting for the right time. Huh? Yeah, well, I know about your mother's maiden name. I know about her, her white blood cell count. And uh, I know where your grandmother keeps her jewelry and the combination to your safety deposit box. But, uh, you know, what about this other thing? I mean, uh... <laughs> so, uh, I'm not... It's somewhere there's a balance. And obviously you... Probably should discuss uh, the ground rules. I mean, that's what I've always said to my children when they ask me for something I can't tell them yes to. I say, well, what would it take to get there? And then you establish these things, and that's what it takes to get there. It's much easier for me to tell you my Social Security number than it is to just feel comfortable just inviting you to, you know, ransack my bedsheets. Why? Because those are just numbers. And you go, well, Michael, now you can't be telling people your social security. No, I, well, that's number one. That's a ridiculous example. That's why I give it. But, but, would I tell anybody anything? Well, they go, well, you got a podcast. You tell everything. I do. I treat people as if I am not strangers and they're not strangers. And she's Dorothy Harris and I'm Forrest Gump. And we're going to go on with our lives, right? We're neighbors. We're in the same world together with the same species. You know, we're on this planet, and we're we're in this together. That's how I treat people. Uh, anytime someone's told me I did something negatively, unwanted, uh, un- embarrassing, whatever it is, I I look at them and I say, "Look, if you, I, everything is done with the best of intentions, is it, I don't do anything to hurt people, make them feel a certain way, tear them up." Michael, you're just, you know, you can be mean about this and that. And that. 
Uh, no. There's, is, is there inflection that goes into certain things? I absolutely say certain things so that people get um, a different flavor off of it. It doesn't mean because I gave you something spicy and you're going to have to drink extra water or, you know, maybe you're going to... Hey! Don't be cooking that recipe anymore. Why? Chris, you love hot food. Yeah. But I almost set the toilet on fire. Like, I'll snap. Like, what in the world? Yeah, man. Couldn't put my underwear on. My rectum had, like, fourth-degree burns. Like, number one, there is no fourth-degree burns. Secondly, ouch. Like, what the hell? Sounds awful. (laughs) Doesn't sound like you had... What what is it they call it a, a liquid diet right when you you have sometimes you have a liquid diet um, there's other people who have liquid and solid waste uh, so apparently this this situation would mean that someone had uh, combustible waste it was on fire it was it was you know a rough recipe ghost peppers and spicy and uh, you know like Cajun cooking kind of stuff right does that mean that you're trying to be harsh to somebody's taste buds or you just giving them a different flavor no. It's not meant with negativity. You can even say the harsh or tough or difficult things to people without it being uh, of, a, of a negative connotation to be hyperbolically. Hyperbolically? Is that a word? Hyperbolically? That sounds better. Hyperbolically. This is how we learn to talk on the podcast live. Um. Hyperbolically, I'm assuming that word applies here. If you want to pause and, and go uh, to Grammarly.com and type this sentence in, you're welcome to try. But I assume that hyperbolically, these these things, if that's the correct word, um, can be can be perceived, received, acted upon in good faith. Hey, I know how he said it to me, but he means well. I do mean well. I've been playful enough with people, play wrestling, horse playing, whatever. You smack somebody on the butt too hard, and they oh, don't do that. You know, oh, well, I didn't know. Zero to seven was good, but zero to eight was too much. Well, how are you going to know that unless you try? Very rarely does anybody sit down and go, oh, yeah, that's that's about what the limit is, you know. Especially when it comes to credit or spending or love or whatever else. Oh my God, don't don't ever do that any better. I might die, you know. Come on now. That's what they say a meal's to die for, you know. Something's, they use all these cliches for things. But people are always looking for an evolution for bigger and better, more expanded language. They want their hobbies to, to bear fruit. They want something like a podcast to have. Maybe a purpose. I mean, I don't. The problem with the way that a lot of people view me is they go, oh, you have a podcast and you do this and you do that. Let me tell you something. I log in and upload the podcast when it's finished. Like, I I will, and I'm trying not to curse in these episodes from here forward, but I will go back if I need to, to do any editing, censor any cursing. And then from there, I log in, I do the description, I upload it, I hit, and I close the window. That's it. 
I don't look at downloads. I don't look at revenue. I don't look at anything else. Nothing else. When I'm on Amazon, it's because I'm going to buy something and ship it directly to me because somebody gave me an Amazon card or I need to burn some kind of credit or something like that. You know. I try to spend as little time as possible uh, grazing, so to speak, or engaging in vanity. And I know it's, it's Michael, it's escaping vanity, whatever. <laughs> in a way, I was watching. <laughs> I was watching these guys. <laughs> I will get tickled. Now, if you're out there, and Anthony will may, maybe appreciate this. Maybe it's too corny, but I was watching these guys in this warehouse. They were. In a, I guess you'd call it the plumbing area. So this company is, uh, they sell, uh, they sell real vanities, right? They sell sinks and and little cabinets and things. And um, the workers were unloading uh, pallets, I guess. I don't know where they came from, but anyway, they they're stacking these things up to to display them and get them gone. I mean, it, it looked like a you know some kind of a bathroom uh clearance sale maybe that's what it was i wasn't paying attention to the signage or anything i was walking i was there to buy something else and anyway i saw this customer who was in the area while they were working they're walking through all these kitchen and bathroom cabinets and things and uh, then they they were in the area and they walked out of the area and they left the area and I said, now that right there, that's escaping vanity. <laughs> I got tickled. And uh, and uh, I thought, this is one of the moments where people are looking around and they're like, what's that guy laughing at? <laughs> laughing at irony. I'm laughing at happenstance. Circumstance. I love, I love little things like that. You'll see things that remind you of a a movie or otherwise, you should have all the fun you can have with those references. I'll tell you, so where that comes from, I guess is because of the, uh, the way that I try to fit things into, I guess I call it the soundtrack of my life, but it's the familiar things. The Okay, so like, someone says, how much? Have I mentioned this on the podcast? If I have, I don't... It, it's my show. How much for how much? You know, it's the, it's the old line from the first 10 minutes of Lethal Weapon in 1987, right? Mel Gibson is he's sitting down, he's doing the Coke deal. I'll probably put the clip on the show. And the guy, he says, oh, you like it? All right, all right. How much you want to buy or whatever? And he says, how much for how much? And he says, all of it. And so he wants to buy this whole kilo of cocaine they tell him a hundred he starts counting out a hundred dollars they tell him it's a hundred thousand and there's a gunfight well anyway um i love those things you know when the beatles have a song called all you need is love and i you know i'll be getting ready in the morning and uh, the only thing i haven't put on is my shoes and that's what i might proceed to say all you need is shoes she you know (laughs) And I turn these these cliches around to mean other things in other places in my life. I just I have fun with that. I mean, it, and it 
you know, you get a song stuck in your head, but often something will happen in my life, and I think of how it reminds me of a quote from a movie or a soundtrack or whatever it is. I'm currently in a process where I'm going to be given an opportunity um, sooner than later. Um, I will finish a next level of, of education in 10 weeks. And at the end of that, I have all kinds of doors that open. And I, I don't know exactly what I'll do with that. I have no idea. Because I quite enjoy the schedule that I have now. And quite frankly, I'd be hard to talk me out of it. But the scene that I've put in this show maybe more than once from Goodwill Hunting keeps coming up in my head. The you know, I have a I have a gift and so I have a skill, why wouldn't I use it to better influence others? And it's an interesting question that I ask myself. Um, <laughs> if I'm in... The argument that I would have myself is I spend a lot of my downtime either giving away some of the money that I make now or volunteering my free time, which is abundant, right? It's just three days a week. That's 150 days a year. not a bad gig what would I do if I worked 250 days a year that's what it, that's what I'm looking at instead of working 200 be working 250 five days a week so what does that look like to me and what does it mean to the any of the other places that I Volunteer? Would they rather have my time or my money? Right? Maybe if I made more money, I would, I would donate more of that money, and then they wouldn't need me to volunteer. Now you can start having that discussion with me. But the other side of that equation is, right now, I have the possibility of working the same, same. Four days a week. I have 10 hours on each one of those days blocked off. Well, really, I, I block off 12 hours. <laughs> but that's the schedule. It's 10. And then, you can look at it and say, well, okay, well, those, those 40 hours are in a fixed time window. Three days a week, you get, uh, you get you know however much time off, and then you go back, and that's pretty good, right? What if you were on... What if you were on a different schedule? What if your schedule was open? Like Monday to Friday. Throughout these daytime hours. How about throughout an 18-hour window? Not a 10-hour. An 18-hour window. Across seven days instead of four. And I started looking at well, let's compare the percentages. How much more could you make? Well, in some aspects, the sky is the limit. 
in others, here's here's where that goes. If I'm doing this living with this schedule, and then you open me up from 10 to 18 hours, you have increased my availability 80%, 180%, right? Because it's 80 plus the 100%. So you've increased my availability 180% each day. Each day. Times an extra three days a week. Well, right now, I only work four days. Three out of four is 75 so you'd be available an extra 175% of the days or an extra 75% of the days Let's, we'll, we'll, keep, we'll keep it small you're available an extra 3 days an extra 75% and you are available an extra 80% of the hours Now, somebody's going to come up with a good calculus equation for that. Well, algebra, probably at this point. But they'll say, well, no, wait a minute now. It's 80, 80% every day. Right. Well, that's an extra three whole days. Well, that's right. So seven times 18 is 70, and 56 is 126. Well, right now you're only available 40 hours. That's right. So you'd be available like. At least three times more often. Well, you'd have to work at least three times the variation in schedule. Without a set schedule. No more set schedule. There ain't no price you can put on that. There's no number to, to go in there. Well, wait a minute now. Are they going to pay you three times as much? No. Maybe. Maybe. An extra of 40%. But uh, wait a minute, man. They're going to give you an extra 40% to be a bit available an extra 300%. <laughs> like, yeah, that doesn't seem very good, does it? It's like 7 to 1 odds. What do you, what do you gain from that? Well, I mean, you'll be making a 40% better living, but uh, yeah, but then I'll have a sporadic schedule that's set across the week and it, there's so many other factors that go into the stress level that is exponentially higher. So the question then becomes, can you sell it to me based on um, prestige or influence or greater good or something like that? You know, Michael, your skill set... And the goods you could do, and so forth and so on. And I say, well, yeah, in some ways, that's not a bad. That's absolutely true for the place that I work. I would have more influence there. However, I'd have a smaller influence on the outside world, and because the trade-off to me in what you do with your time versus what you do monetarily is virtually incomparable. That's a good term. I like that. Virtually incomparable. 
the trade-off is is almost impossible as far as I'm concerned to make. It's virtually incomparable. Virtually incomparable seems like you can't do something in cyberspace, doesn't it? I like the irony of language. It's, uh, it's, it's physically incomparable. Monetarily. And maybe it's monetarily incomparable. Or spiritually. Ooh. Spiritually incomparable. That's like you saying that you can trade something for your faith. It's spiritually incomparable. But I'm talking about from your soul. From the inside out. What does it mean to you to have that somewhat predictable schedule and you know this what is absolutely a freer sort of different way of life that you can't get any other way I mean, and now what you, you you go to retire so that you can have a part-time schedule and dictate the hours that you would then work if you go back to work. You work when you want to work. Well, okay. Right now, I kind of work when I want to work, and uh, I, we got it's a pretty good gig. So, do I do I work too much? Yeah. Do I did I take too many steps last week and this week? Sure. I mean, I did fifty some hours. I got to go back for a conference call Friday morning. I've got. You know, a lot of, there's a lot being invested into me, and I, I appreciate the commitment that they're making. However, I almost feel like <laughs> the compromise that I'm willing to make is as a consultant or to be part of some kind of hybrid position or something at best I just luring Michael L. Craver with money is is not really the way to go I you know yes I live in in a modest place and have some land to build on just silliness that is my sort of I don't know long term vision if I die tomorrow, I'll be happy. You know, my kids are ha- they're healthy and they're they're moving along. Family around me, pretty much happy, healthy. Uh, there's some people who have some hiccups, but nothing unnatural. I mean, you work yourself to death, you end up with probably some scar tissue along the way. You, you wear your body out with too much stress, or certain things that happen to you physiologically and otherwise, with your blood pressure, with your different internal systems and that sucks and for a lot of folks you know they don't they never they don't think of it that way hey i worked so much and i got all these stories and i got yeah but you're worn down well well that's true you know how many hours did you put on your body how many miles what have you gone through when people say um hey you know i like the finer things in life do you like like being healthy and happy Somebody said, well, you put these things in order, health, time, and money. And I said, how about in, in order of priority, like importance, health, time, and then money. If you're not healthy, you don't have time, the money doesn't matter. Now, somebody else might look at it in this weird lens and go, you know, let me let me talk to you a little bit differently, Michael. Here, you got, let's toast. 
Okay, here's here's my rum, here's yours. All right, let's let's talk about it. Enlighten me there, good sir. Ah, this is wonderful. This is um it's eight dollars a bottle, that's what that rum is. It's not the finer things in life. But but I'll hear your argument. What do you gotta say? Well, you know, Michael, if you have money, then you can buy time? Is that what you can do? Because I didn't think it was for sale. So autom- automatically, money comes behind time. Can you buy health with it? Well, no. Well, if you have your health, you can generate money. But if you're not healthy, I don't know that time is the most important thing. Maybe time could be most important. You could argue that and say, well, if you have enough time, you could get your health in order and then earn more money. Okay. But money's obviously last out of the three. There's no other way around it. So, if you're looking at it in a different lens, I, I appreciate it, but, you know, I, I have friends who are into all kinds of things in the community and, and everywhere else. Um, one of the folks that I, you know, a friend of mine, um, you know, well, several of them actually have all kinds of little, you know, endeavors where they uh, participate in the community, where they... Um, do certain things with their children. Let's say uh, their children are into activities, in the music, into p- playing ball, something of that nature, right? And you devote your time to being on the ball field with the kids. My mother did that forever. My, my father played USSB, uh, world-class softball, for a while and played church softball, and he played college baseball and stuff. So... You know, my mother spent a, a healthy amount of time on the ball field to see him play, uh, but furthermore, to um, support him. And once there was a family, uh, and they're married, and there's children involved, and brought the kids to the ball field, and the other moms brought the kids to the ball field, and we played on the playgrounds, and, you know, somebody watched the kids, and we were all like one extended family. So that, that in and of itself is rewarding in terms of health. Do you lose time doing that? I, I think you almost gain time by doing that. It's healthy time. It's time well spent. It's irreplaceable. You work hard, right, because equipment is, is so expensive. I've, you know, different friends of mine have talked about how much it costs for kids to be in cheerleading or football or otherwise, and, and that's rough. Uh, it, it just is because now the people who uh, are selling those goods know that you have to have them. And so they charge premiums for everything. And it's difficult on anyone uh, to try to afford the things that used to be just completely different. When I was younger, I, for instance, baseball was the most uh, expensive thing I played, right? Because you have a bat bag, you have a glove, you pay the, um, God, I think we paid $25 to play to the community association or whoever ran the league. And that pays the umpires and puts chalk on the field and, and whatever. Whatever their budget was, was supported by the individual players paying $25. They gave us the shirts and the hats. We didn't pay anything extra. But as a player, you you need cleats to go on your feet. You buy baseball socks, baseball pants. You need a belt. You got to have a belt. You got to look right. Complete the uniform. You have a glove. Well, a lot of kids have sweatpants. A lot of kids have maybe a brace on their arm. When they're hitting, they don't want to get hit in the elbow, so they, they wear a protective pad. Batting helmets were furnished by the team. Then, I don't know if they are now. I know my daughter played softball. She, you know, had to buy her a helmet. 
even to, to play in the infield defensively. They wear helmets, right? So you have cleats and socks and pants and a belt and a glove. Now, you may use somebody else's bat. You know, everything else is fairly negotiable. Now, you may look at it and say it's not, but you don't have to do anything else, right? People elect to buy sweatbands and bats and maybe the, the black makeup to go out of their eyes and decorate their face. Maybe they want something that's uh, a little bit um, more exotic. They have their own batting helmet. They have their own bat. They have a donut to go on the bat, a weight to go on the bat, extra special tape that they need for this and that and the other. If you're a catcher or some other special position, you may have uh, practice equipment at home. You know, that that is an added expense. So these are not cheap activities. And many people devote their sort of dreams to these um, activities as well. They look at it and they say, wow, this, he's doing so good. He may have a future in it. He may. I mean, there's a lot of people who, if, if your goals are modest, to be able to play ball and, and earn an honest living. What does that mean? Does it mean that the ball field is going to exclusively provide you with means to pay your bills? Because that's different than saying, I'm going to play ball forever. I'm going to play in a recreational league. I'm going to play in a church league. I'm going to play minor league baseball, whatever. You just want to continue to play your whole life. You love the game. Is it going to pay 100% of your bills? Well, if you're looking at it like you're going to be drafted high, you know, in the first 10 rounds of the Major League Baseball um, free agency or in, in their, you know, yearly draft, well, now you're setting your goals real high. Some of it's politics, some of it's what you have access to. I mean, there's kids in the third world who are, you know, this good, and then they, they draft them, and they put them into these specific training systems and groom them and so forth and so on. That's what it means for a lot of those people to be drafted, is to, to be able to send them somewhere to then have uh, a special sort of new beginning with the sport. And they send them, you know... A, triple A, double A. Uh, there's the Diamond League, I think, that's out west. And there's a kid who's a friend of the family. Uh, I don't know. That, I, I'm sure I've met him at some point. But anyway, he got drafted, um, like, very high overall. The highest, you don't know who he is if you look this up, but he's the highest, as far as I know, he's the highest uh, contract ever given to a rookie uh, draft pick for the uh, Oakland A's. I don't think he's ever played one major league game. And that was several, several years ago. You know, they sent him down uh, to the Diamond League, and he'd been playing there, and he had, you know, he's he's had his own journey. I don't know good or bad. I don't, I don't know enough about it. I've never looked up a stat, never seen one single professional highlight, though I'm sure that plenty is available through social media. And, you know, there's guys who went to high school with me who played professional uh, football and other things. And, and, you know, I hope they're doing well. I don't know what they're up to now. I, I haven't spoke to many people f from school outside of 
specific folks that you know interact with me on a regular basis in the community for mostly professional reasons. But when you commit to these activities, you know, young or old, they certainly consume part of your time and, and some of your health. I mean, you do risk, you know, tearing up, you know, some of your joints forever like that. There's people who've had all kinds of trouble, you know, whether it's walking or whether it's, you know, the unfortunate neurological effects that can come from things like softball. When I was young, it became a big, uh, it was a big to-do about soccer, people jumping into trying to head, you know, catch a pass or shoot, you know, um, to, to score by heading the ball but jumping where someone else was already in the air and then two heads collide. And so my mother, who was very big in the infection control wing of things, she talked about the um, bloodborne pathogen aspect, right? This is a way that people can basically contract different things that are in your blood, uh, whatever you know disease you might have, uh, whatever condition you might have. Uh, back then, you know, more hepatitis and HIV and things like that. I, I, I would guess that that's probably still the most prominent risk uh, or the thing that people worry about the most. But the other aspect of it is that, you know, people will hit their heads. Um, they're, they're jumping into a ball. They're hitting their head on this and that. There's people who have hit their head on the goalpost or been kicked in the head or otherwise. And I'm sure in the most harmless sports, things happen to people, uh, whether it's swimming or diving or anything. So when I think about the way to spend my time between health and money and certainly... Um, it's it's important to me to balance both, and I've reached a point professionally where I'm having you know kind of a it's it is sort of a renaissance period, but on the other hand, uh, I've thought of it like like the dating scene. I said I'm retired. <laughs> I said I'm I've reached a point where I I'm I'm happy with what I do for a living with the opportunity to record these shows, to do some writing. Most of the writing that I do, it gets shared with somebody publicly, whether through a a professional service like we use, whether it's on uh, the big networking platforms, professional networking platforms like, like a LinkedIn or something. Uh, but most things that I, I write get shared somewhere like that. There are plenty of other personal emails and thank yous and that's a big part of me feeling good about who I am telling people you know hey I have the ability to word things in a an often very flattering and unique recipe and I like doing that for people because it just it replenishes them they have a better day because of Something they did. It is because of something they did. I am motivated by their good spirits, their effort, whatever results they they have, whatever achievements and pursuits they have. I'm always happy to. Hey, you're doing. If you ain't anybody told you, you're doing a hell of a job. 
Now, we used to be real facetious about that when I was working in the back. It was QA is what they call the quality assurance or expo is what restaurants call that, where you run the line and you organize the plates and dispatch servers and food and stuff, right? And it would get quiet. <laughs> I would say, and you got to get some clapping or something going on with it to somewhat be obnoxious about it and say, hey, hey, doing a great job, a great job. And like, yeah, 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 shut up. But they often were doing a great job. So you say it when you mean it, and you say it when you ought to mean it, and it all means good things. The coach is probably not always in the best mood, and he's like, oh, you're you doing a hell of a job, Larry. Like, well, man, you sound exhausted. You would think if I'm doing a great job, you'd have a little, a little more sunshine in your voice. But I'm sure your significant others and your loved ones and otherwise have tried to tell you wonderful things as they're worn out. And it means just as much coming from them when they don't have the enthusiasm. You know, if you have a bad exchange with somebody, maybe you have a bad conversation, you think something was mean. Maybe you had a bad professional situation. Oh, man, they made it harder than it should have been. Maybe you had a rough, intimate situation. Oh, my goodness, you know. That wasn't what I was expecting. Like, I don't think that went the way. We both know that didn't go the way it could have gone. And right, I mean, nothing's perfect. Do you look at each other with, you know, a, do you respect each other's positive mindsets, best intentions, that kind of thing? Yeah. Well, you can acknowledge it and look at it like you want to try again. And you can look at it and say, all right, well, we're going to agree to disagree, whatever. There's so many different versions of where you may or may not take things. It probably is what I consider to be supremely important to sit back and um, at least have a communicative, I don't know if debriefing is the right word, but discuss the aftermath. Sit back and think about, does that person... Is it? Do you, am I taking for granted that they know how I feel? That it was good or bad, or I did or didn't enjoy myself, or otherwise, you know what you did. You know, you meant to be mean. You meant to take advantage of this. You meant to. I think you're often going to find out the other person was being completely innocent and tried something that they thought might have gone a different way, that you might have enjoyed yourself. You were a little too hard on me. That's not what I wanted. This was Well, I hate to hear that that is how two different things might be perceived. To two extremes like that. Because in, in, a, in a joining of the minds and an understanding that you all mean well, and you're all trying to get into the business of, okay, hmm. All right, well, well, yeah, we'll have to approach it from a different angle. Maybe we could troubleshoot this and get it straightened out. But if you look at it like the person intentionally screwed something up, then that's a completely, completely different way of thinking of it like they intended to do you wrong or harm or otherwise. That's a whole different mindset. And that's you looking at them in a very unflattering way. It's it's like what they did was intentionally uh, mischievous or, 
you know, they, they were trying to, as you might say, take advantage of a situation. If, if often what they were doing was trying to be vulnerable and try something that they didn't know whether it would go right or wrong, but they hoped everybody was going to come out better. And it sucks like that, you know. You got to put your hand on a, another person's hand and they pull away. You tell them they love you. Or you love them. Or you tell them I love you and... Hmm. They didn't say it back. Mm-hmm. So, now where are you? Now where are you to go? And it's, you know, you got to remember in today's society probably more than ever. And I don't mean just because the population is bigger. But a bigger percentage of people than ever have trouble looking in the mirror, have lower self-esteem, have these very difficult points of view. They're, they're not optimistic uh, at so many intersections of their life. They often look at the chance to meet a new friend or date someone or you know, take on a task at work, volunteer, raise your hand first at the Q&A, whatever it might be. They look at that as, mm, <clears throat> not me, not me. Somebody else go first. Somebody else try this. I don't want to be the, the guinea pig, so to speak. I get it. There's a lot of risk and reward in that. And they say to the victor go the spoils and the, the early bird gets the worm and all you know, right? You got you heard all these things. Most of the time people don't want to be the first guy in the door if you're serving a search warrant. If you were on a crew of people that was in uh, Iraq or somewhere and you were going to storm a house to go look for bad guys. You wanna be the first guy in the door? You want to be the guy who takes the most risk? You want to be that bullet shield? No matter how highly trained or otherwise you might be. I think in the uh, movie Full Metal Jacket, which Matthew Modine is the, the central character, right? He's, um, the guy they call Private Joker. The narrator in the movie. And he, he speaks of the phony tough and the crazy brave. Those things apply just as much in 2023 to the social circles and everything else that we're in um, as they did anywhere else in history. Those are not wartime descriptions. Those are often very accurate ways of, of describing the day that you might be having right now today. There are people who are out there on the, the front lines who are looking at, you know, they're going to be the next person who's uh, this amazing entrepreneur. They're going to plays the way next year being a big election year you know they're going to be the person who's putting their name on the signs and out there shaking hands and kissing babies and they're going to, I'm going to lead us to a new future 
I don't. Is, is that where you want to be? Can you be the guy? Can you be the elected representative with all that pressure and all the eyes on you and everybody trying to look to, you know, because nowadays you got just as many people, if not more, who are looking to see you fail as they are to succeed. That's a rough way of looking at life. Wait a minute now, I'm going to put myself out there and somebody wants me to fail? Yeah, that happens probably more than often than you think. And it sucks to think that people don't want you um, to be the best person you can be, to have the best outcome that you can have. And there's some people who are just looking to be, um, I, I don't know that victimized is the right word, but they certainly are looking for something to cry foul about. That is their sort of, not claim to fame, but it's their reason for speaking up. It's not to motivate you. It's to call people out and shout people down and to uh, voice their unhappiness on others. Whether it's correct or whether it's uh, misguided. The mouth-watering Big Mac with a savory filio fish and a tasty McChicken. My goodness, that looks good. You're making a McDonald's menu hat. Yes, a land, air, and sea. Oh, it's going to tip over. No, it's good. It's good. Very stable. Order the land, air, and sea by name, build it by hand, and hack the McDonald's menu. I'm surprised at how attracted I am to it. I think that's where, where I, was, I was just having a conversation with someone, and I said... I so, said, you know, Tupac has that song. He's got, as a matter of fact, there's two versions of it. There's, there's 96 and 99. There's two versions of the song, uh, Troublesome. And I said, but often uh, people have this. Uh, you hear me? I'm unwrapping a cigar. I don't know what this is. I got a mixed, a mixed pack. Frank's Way. Handmade Dominican. Interesting. Anyway, um, as their their motivation is often to to be the you know the com- the complainer the old Saturday night live skit with Dan Aykroyd and ugh, I don't know the woman's name because I've only heard my dad used to mention it and it's it's uh, Ned and Cindy Weiner um I don't know it's just you know it's an interesting thing that people choose the kind of I don't know the, the silliness that they do. And I just want people to be happy. I mean, you know, it's it's very simple as far as I'm concerned. Anyway, the term, the Tupac song is called Troublesome. And I said, these people there, the, the modern word, I don't, they don't like all these modern terms, gaslighting and all this stuff. <laughs> the modern term is... I think you could call someone triggersome, is what I was, <laughs> I was saying. Their, their, their motivation is, you know, they, they want to be. It's like people watch horror movies. They watch horror movies because they want to be scared. You know? I don't blame anybody for that stuff. 
why do you ride roller coasters? I find them to be very scary and makes me nervous and anxious. Yeah, I ride roller coasters for the same reason you avoid roller coasters. You know, you don't compete because you don't want to lose. I compete because I want to win. You know, they're, they're two very different angles on the same thing. You go out and have a customer service experience because you want to enjoy the marketplace and you want to have something wonderful happen. And you are opposite because now I want to go out and I want to enjoy the marketplace because I'm looking for a flaw in the system. I want something I can make a video about, go on social media, complain, give a bad review. I want... To have something go wrong. And it is. There's people who read magazines. They read about articles and medical conditions and otherwise. And they go to the doctor and they go, you know what? I'm pretty sure I have this condition. They, no, you don't. We ran your blood work. Come on, doc. Tell the truth. I'm telling you the truth. Uh, the science doesn't uh, back up what you're saying. You know, you know just, just, people are like this in this crazy culture that we have where they I, I don't understand it like they they want things to fall apart they pull for disaster you know if they could go to the horse track and bet on which horses would lose that's what they would do lottery ticket can I bet on not winning the lottery <laughs> like fuck it, why the whole pursuit, the whole point in the journey is to reach the destination. It's not to keep people from a happy ending. You know. So strange. So strange. Triggersome. Na, 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 na. Anyway, I just, I, I can't with people. Like, it's just so, so different. Oh, is that right? If I can I return this after I use it? Why? You bought it. the whole point is to buy it. We don't rent things. We don't lease things. That's right. This is a pizza restaurant. You're gonna eat it, and that's gonna be it. I can't get my money back if it doesn't digest well. Get the, get out of here. Bye. We're gonna do business with le, with legitimate customers. You know, people who know what our product is, why we're selling it. They want to engage in long term business with us. We we're not a pain in the butt to them, and they're not a pain in the butt to us. That's that's what kind of relationship you want in your personal life, in your household, and otherwise. Well, you know, so-and-so, they're a real pain in the butt. But I love them, you know. You know uh. But if they could behave better, would you have less stress and live a healthier life? Well, yeah. No. Yeah. Why do you think your health insurance is so much? It's not because we don't have better technology and everything else. It's when people do all this nonsense with their money, with their stress level, with bad decisions, and it leads them into unhealthy situations. No medication for everything. And, I, you know, you think that Johnny Knoxville and his friends take unnecessary risks, but their financial reward has been tremendous. They've actually taken, you know, very wise risks. Now, do their bodies pay for it? It's that's the trade-off. As much as the guy who plays football or basketball, or baseball or whatever. Yes, you could hit your head playing 
soccer, going for a header with somebody. But if you don't, you know, it's like driving fast to get somewhere on time. If you don't get pulled over, it pays off, right? Hey, wait a minute. Yeah. That's a... I, I never thought of it that way. Though, you know. I, it's so strange. I mean, that's what a lot of people will come back to me and they'll say, you know, you were you were talking about something on your podcast. And you said it like seven different ways. And the first six, I was like, nah, nah, nah. Oh, oh man. He got me. The point is not to get you. At all. It's never like that. I don't Taking advantage of people or ruining relationships is not what I do. I want you to be happy. You can hear it's so quiet. You can hear, when I, at least I can, when I light the cigar. I can hear the different elements of the cigar um, catching the, the flame and being ignited. It's very different. You know what it reminds me of is when I was in English class years ago. Somebody had used thumbtacks in a wrestling match. And somehow I found myself uh, with a thumbtack in my hand. So I took the thumbtack, put it against my, somewhere down my leg, near my, between my calf and my ankle. And started to push on it. And it went right in my skin. It went... Kind of like that. You can feel it break through the different layers. If you've ever used one of these... Um, and if you don't have some, I quite highly recommend them. But if you don't have ingrown hair tweezers or have like... A, um, I guess you'd call it a... Hell, I don't know. I, I have an extractor kit or a grooming kit or whatever it's called where it's got like an extractor and nail clippers and a nail file and the different facets of like cleaning out from underneath your fingernails. Anyway, uh, if you look up extractor kit or set or whatever, it'll come up. But, uh, you know, I, I, as you're, if I have what I think is a, well, I think I have a pocket of something underneath of some, you know, place on my cheek because an ingrown hair or whatever might be there. There's, Yes, I have friends who work in all kinds of industries. I'm well aware that the dermatologically trained friends of mine would tell me, just leave it alone, let it come to the surface, and then nature will take its course. And I go, nah, I'm going to flush out that biological terrorist. You know, and I'm driving the point of this medieval device through my skin to, to puncture it and, and give it a, ta- you know, a channel, a tunnel, or whatever, a, means to come to the surface. And that's where I take my hands and squeeze the hell out of it. <laughs> and uh, sometimes you get some, some blood or some, uh, I guess, acne or whatever's underneath there. Sometimes it, sometimes it ain't, you know, I was wrong. And it's all, you know, it's probably just a flesh wound at that point.
I wasn't doing anything, any favors and in, in digging out some intruder or some, you know, uh, unsavory presence below the surface. Just stabbing myself in the face, for lack of a better term. And does that mean I'm, I'm like that ugly customer who I'm looking for something wrong? Hey, times in front of the mirror, I'm rub my finger over my cheek. Hey, there's a hair there. It's out of place. I'm gonna go pull that hair out. This hair above my ear, behind behind my ears. Sometimes in my ear canal. I'm 41 now, you know. I don't trim my nose hairs with some kind of device. Pull them all out with tweezers. Now, there's people who are going to tell you that's silly. You trim them back. You don't want to be pulling them all out. Cause, yeah, because it can cause other problems with ingrown hairs and this and that and the other. That's painful. Uh, depending where you're pulling them, if you go all the way around and up and down your nose and everything else, yeah, it'll make your eyes water. I don't know the pain's the right word. It's intense in some ways. There might be other people out there who are going to be like, no, nah, man, it ain't intense. Pull out my chest hairs. Now, I've sat around and done that, too, where I'm like, you know, I've shaved my chest or something for some reason, and I'm like, oh, look, a straggler. I need to sit around and watch TV with some tweezers and my shirt off and pull out the, <laughs> the unsavory hairs. So, I, you know, it's it's... I don't know. Is that an OCD thing? It's something, right? But I don't do that because I'm unhappy with my body. It's it's it just came to my attention, and it, I, I don't know that I even consider those things to be flaws. It's just like I'm running my finger over my temple. And, oh, I feel that thing right there. What is that? You know. Something under my fingernail. There's something under my toe. I'm stepping across the floor barefooted. Oh my goodness, I have stepped on a piece of something. Right? It's a piece of debris, piece of trash, piece of something that you could have swept up. It's now stuck to the bottom of your toe. You know, is that going to ruin your day? Hopefully not. I pick my foot up, I scrub it against my my other ankle or leg to get it off, and I keep walking. You know, before you stepped in the batter's box years ago, you'd step up and you'd beat your cleats off. You'd beat the bat against the bottoms of your cleats and get all the dirt out of them. You'd get better traction running to first base. There is a method to it. I didn't always do it for that. But I'm not super fast, and so it probably did me every advantage I could so that my cleats were every asset they could be. <laughs> And not not as an advantage, but I didn't. It'd be meaningless to wear cleats that are you know full of mud, and the spikes won't stick in the ground effectively. I'm sure there are plenty of us out there who would you know we need to have a clean windshield and, and good visibility in both our rear view mirrors to side view mirrors. Every, I'm sorry, side view mirrors, our rear view mirror in the middle, and and everything to be in good order. You know, and the car companies have gone way out of their ways to even have, like, auto-driving cars now and backup cameras. And now they have, you know, sensors everywhere, tire pressure sensors, because you're not looking at your tires often enough, so the car needs to remind you that it needs to be maintained. And we do that with our businesses and our personal relationships and everything else, right? They have 
the survey you can take on on every receipt and every business imaginable has Yelp and TripAdvisor and Google and Facebook reviews and, and every platform. Does it mean that you're ever going to have a business like work retroactively and and get these these folks who are wanting to you know their their th- their form of entertainment as Doug Stanhope says it's a, a, a mm. I think it's in his 2005 special called Deadbeat Heroes I think he's talking about He said these two women came to his show and complained to the manager that he was a comic up on stage and he was drunk. He said, I'm not driving a bus. I'm a comic. I get up here, I can get drunk, I tell jokes. He's, he's like, what is your complaint? He said, "That's but some people go out with the intention. Their form of entertainment is to complain. Their form of business is to complain. I never pay full price for anything. And it's not because they buy in volume, folks. You pay a higher retail price, suggested retail price, manufacturer's standard, you know, whatever. Uh, RS, that's that's not right. RSVP, it's MSRP. Uh, <laughs> I don't think you're supposed to pay to RSVP. Um, you know, we pay more because somebody else is is defrauding people. They return stuff and it goes back, so that's defective. That's often just as as rough on someone's profit and loss on their um, balance sheet, on their budget, as if somebody stole it. That's one more item they can't sell. And they do what they call, uh, what different companies call it different things, but they send it back to the people who made it, the manufacturer or vendor or whatever. And somebody's going to eat the cost of that. They pass the cost on to the consumers. It's the cost of doing business. Very very rarely is the cost of doing business something that is absorbed by the people who are the business. You know, externalize as many of those costs as possible. That way you maintain the profit margin to uh, reap the rewards of being in business. It's hard as hell to sit back and and there's let people like maybe you're in the business of um making cars well the dealership buys the cars and then they assume all the risks so if you made the cars you know you're, you're in pretty good shape as far as as long as they're they're wholesaling out to everybody but if you're a dealer and people default on the loans that you're you know cuz nowadays a dealership has in-house oh no no you don't have to go nowhere else. We do in-house financing. Yeah, so they can keep more money. That way they can put all that interest and everything on their books when they loan you out that money. Now they get to reap the rewards of, of selling you the car. They still own the car. They still own the car. It's it's still theirs until you pay off the loan. They own the interest that you're going to pay back on top of the car. And hopefully you're going to come to them for maintenance on the car that you're going to pay them for as well. It's a one-stop shop so to speak for everything and so many of those cars are so specialized now it's very hard to get aftermarket parts and so forth and so on so you just take it back to them and if you're comfortable with that relationship 
then you as an individual feel good. Now, could you get those costs down and, and save more to have money to spend on other things? You could if you bought an older vehicle that has aftermarket parts and people can work on it and so forth. A prominent vehicle, one that, you know, a lot of folks have a Dodge, a Ford, a Honda, or otherwise, and it's easy to get aftermarket parts and it's lower cost on the, uh, the oil changes, the pieces and... I guess all the little things, right? Air filters don't cost a tremendous amount of money if you go straight to Advance or O'Reilly's or whatever your auto parts place is. If you know what your air filter is and you know how to change one, you just snap the cover off or take the screws out and put a new air filter in, cost you six, seven, ten bucks. Something like that. When you pay them, at the five-minute oil change or somewhere you know, like the dealership to do it. They charge you labor out of it to, to unscrew that thing and put it back on. They also mark the air filter up that they paid the same or close to the same price that you did. It's one more hand in the pot. They have to get fed. So you pay more than if you had done it. And this is true. I mean, if you go to um, a home improvement store, um, big box or whatever, and you buy plumbing parts and you do your own plumbing. Obviously, it's less than if you play, pay the plumber to come out there and then he has the part. I've got one of them parts on my trunk. You do. That's right. It'd only be $40 to add this service. Oh, okay. Lo and behold, that was like a $2 fitting you could have put on if you knew the risk and, and a little bit of what was going on with it. However, because they are now assuming the liability, and you got to remember that part, they're doing the work that they're going to have to guarantee and they have insurance and bonded and whatever else, right? So if something goes wrong, you call them back to the house. And, and so their work can potentially cost them plenty of money, just like putting a, a truck on the road for your company has a tremendous amount of costs involved in it because you have to pay the driver and then insurance and liability and insure the freight and have all these, you know, regulations met with interstate commerce and the dot and you know federally and have it registered it's just a whole production who's gonna load and unload the truck um you know you trust people with your vehicle can you leave the trailer sitting somewhere if you drop it off so you can take the truck somewhere else and be doing two things at once These are very intricate conversations to be having about things because a lot of people don't don't realize. And I don't think that, to me, they're not what are called hidden costs, but people don't actively just look at it and go, yeah, I'm going to buy a new car. Yeah, are you? Have you thought about the fact that you can't get aftermarket parts? Have you thought about the fact that you don't know what's going to happen in that car over the next three or four years or it's going to be recalled and X, Y, Z, right? There's a tremendous amount of markup involved in every single process of modern technology. That's right, I got the newest iPhone. That's right, but you can only buy their AirPods. And, you know, it, it's harder to do a tremendous amount of stuff because what they have done with newer technologies is they've found ways to um, pull them out of being universal. So now everything is a little more specialized. And it's like when you used to buy something and the power cord from everything else wouldn't fit it. You're like, damn, 
you know. Now I gotta go buy a special power cord. And, you know, it's like having a hand with six fingers and you can't find gloves. I, you know, some people are all about that stuff, but I just look at it and I think it's, it's more trouble than it's worth. To me, that is troublesome. What else do I have on my list here? The sound of success, trigger some. There's about six more things here. I'm like an hour and something into this podcast. And I thought about that too. I was like, do I want to make this show like four hours long? Well, <laughs> why not? I'm working like 17 hour shifts. People should know what it's like to be me. You have to listen to me for like a a four hour period. It's like half a um is it? Uh old TV shows were twenty two episodes and they were I think the older shows are twenty six minutes. Modern shows are twenty two to twenty four minutes. But twenty times twenty two. If you just you, let's just round it down a little bit to keep it around. Twenty times twenty two would be four hundred and forty, right? So four hundred and forty divided into sixty minute intervals. Would be, uh, what, six, seven hours, seven and a half hours? I'm not going to do a seven and a half hour show. But if I did a three or four hour show, it'd be half a season of television. What do you think about that? Hmm? You can watch half a season of Seinfeld or Chappelle's show or listen to one episode of me. Hmm. What's the trade off there? Oh, and I'm going to commend um, Spotify for their for their richly deep library that I don't get me wrong because I had these songs buried in my hard drive because I I love the different artists involved, but I was listening to Spotify and I was listening to the Manchester Orchestra channel, which I highly recommend for anybody. Their their lyrics are are quite ah, they're just they're just so evolved and artistic. It's, it's a lot of it's spiritual. It's the allegory um, that's involved there is just mm, ah. I mean, it's just it, it is masterful. I'm listening, and Manchester Orchestra is going to town, and I've not heard whatever the song is, and all of a sudden I hear a very there's a very specific sound that comes out of some different folks' instruments. Um, Noel Gallagher's trademark, the big red guitar, I believe it's a Fender. Uh, no, it's his Gibson. Um, he, I mean, the sound he makes is phenomenal. I, I remember that, was, that I was listening to a Coldplay song. It's called Up and Up. If you, ever, if you want to listen to it, Coldplay has this wonderful tune called "Up and Up," and they're singing, and the song's good. And up, it's it's a very uplifting, motivational kind of song. And as it gets to the pieces between the chorus, where there's going to be an instrumental, I start hearing the oh, I can't describe it. I got cold chills right now. Right, I know it's Noel Gallagher. I just know. Love it. I've listened to the Oasis channel for days at work. Every I was like, I, I, I listen to Oasis like 30 hours a week. I've, you know, and they haven't put out any music in forever. There's a newer song called Don't Stop that was you know, part of their archives or something that they released. I found it on YouTube. I didn't even know about it. Um, 
but I clicked on the Oasis channel to see what the newer videos were. And they've remastered certain things because it's like the 25th and 30th anniversary and stuff. But I, don't stop. New, new song? What? So I was like, you know, well, let's play it. And it sounds a lot like, you know, many of the things that are from 2000, standing on the shoulders of giants, things of this nature. It's good music. It's good. I love it. Um, it's, it's, you know, the newer Noel Gallagher album is very, is very much Oasis-themed. He has two members of Oasis and three members of their band in his current lineup of Noel Gallagher's High Flying Birds. And they people were talking about how much Oasis he plays at his shows now. And he's in interviews, he talks about how he plays the first half of his shows with his newer material. But the last half, he just plays Oasis songs. And people just go, Abe. Well, here is... You know, this guy who's... And they talk about how he'll dedicate songs to people in the crowd that are 20, 25 years old. Hey, this one's for you. And, you know, obviously these people weren't even alive when, he, <laughs> when they put that song out in the 90s. But somehow that music resonates with everybody. And it's such a spiritual journey that you go on with those things. Well, the song itself is called The Lost Cause, the one I'm referring to by, by Manchester Orchestra. And then I got to looking, and I was like, wait a minute, this, even, this isn't even a Manchester Orchestra song. Well, it's, it's not credited to them. They're featured on the song, and I was like, well, wait a minute now, they're playing half of the instruments and do all of the vocals. How can it not be their song? I, I'm not in charge of that. But it's credited to the Night Watchman. And boys and girls, I'm listening, and here is, and the chorus goes, I have it brought up on my other screen over here. It's a very telling song for like this point in my life. And uh, the, the, as it starts to build into the chorus, the two verses, it says, So every time I try to run away from you, I find another ransom hiding in the scope. And I don't want to believe it. Every time you try to hang your empty rope, another casual cost of trying to stay afloat. And you don't want to believe it. It starts when you stop, and it stops when you start to believe that the cost, that the, I'm sorry, that the lost cause is more than it's costing you. So they use the words in forwards and backwards. It starts when you stop, it stops when you start to believe that the lost cause is more than it's costing you. And I just, mm, the lost cause is more than it's costing you. Yeah, it's a lost cause because it's costing you too much. It, it, it's it's not the risk versus reward. It's it's pulling the life out of you. I just I'm listening to it and I'm like, it starts when you stop and it stops when you start to believe that the lost cause is more than it's costing you. And as he says the last word in the chorus, this. I was like, oh, that's Tom Morello. Because he's using the exact same guitar he's used for 30 years. It's the one he's got Arm the Homeless on, and he uses it when he's playing the, the most prolific guitar solo for me, and somebody might have something else they prefer. But Tom Morello is playing on Bruce Springsteen's Rock and Roll Hall of Fame induction, um, and he's playing the ghost of Tom Joad with... Bruce Springsteen, and 
when he goes into the chorus, the second chorus on that song, second guitar solo, he hits that. If you're, you need to watch the YouTube video. He starts playing it with one hand. And then he's using the other hand over and under and over and under and using the whammy bar. And using, he's just going wild. And his I don't have words to do it justice. The music he makes um, is my thing. I absolutely love it. As much as I listened to Ludovico Einaldi this week uh, with piano and and found some songs that I really enjoy from him, and I'd have to pull my phone out and go, what, what song is this? Because it's playing through Spotify. And I'd email myself the name of the song. I had to go find this Manchester Orchestra song, and I was like, ah, it's a Tom Morello song. Well, yeah, I've already got it. I've had it for two years. Didn't even know it was in there. And it's the song at the beginning of this podcast. And I'll I'll put the song at the end. But I am just... That's where I'm at with my life. Every time I try to run away from you, I find another ransom hiding in the scope. I don't want to believe it. Every time you try to hang your empty rope, another casual cost of staying afloat... I was like, it's not casual cost of saying, hmm, this sounds like someone who's doing everything they can to justify their life, who's spending way too much money to try to figure out. They're, they're pulling the life out of some money for whatever their causes are, their, their vanity, their endeavors. It doesn't have to be financial. It could be that they're, you know, mentally, physically, or otherwise just this beast of a vampire who's just pulling, you know, your resources and your time and your money and your health uh, right away from you. And there's nothing that you can do to get it back. So the cost is more than uh, it's worth. It's a lost cause, so to speak, that you'll never see any return on your investment. Coke with coffee. We blended Coke with rich coffee for one very good reason. Your afternoon pick-me-up routine needed it. Simple as that. Coke with coffee. I have to have those commercial breaks. Anyway, thought I would pick one more thing here. Um, I'll tell you what, I'll, I'll do two of these. Um, maybe left on the list. Are these terms? Because I just pick, I just put a term down on the paper, and then I talk about it at, at length. Whatever's still in my mind, even though I wrote some of these weeks ago after the last podcast. Uh, here's how the list goes. It says emotional emergency. It says heard, not heard, or not herded. So h e a r h e a r d, the five letter word versus H-E-R-D. So people want to be heard, not herded. They don't want to be sheep. They want to be they want to have an individual voice, not be part of the right. Um the adventure of the orgasm. That's more about talking about how people the, the courtship of people from uh, the fruition of um meeting or the catalyst of 
where you come into contact until where you reach uh, some kind of uh, climactic event with them. The emotional emergency, huh? The other one says, call this home. I'm thinking about that. I'm not drawing a blank. What comes to my mind is the song lyric from Dave Matthews. Uh, Let's read it out for you. The song is called Don't Drink the Water. But in the live version, he always has different ways of working up to the chorus. And he um, sometimes will sing lyrics from other songs. This land is your land and, and other things. In this version that I have here, I believe it's the studio version. Is um, he his way of going into the chorus? He talks about how, I, and I, the premise of the song "Don't Drink the Water" is is to not be indoctrinated by bad ideas in society and and don't be misled. A lot of what I've t- talked about in this podcast. Um, I'm not so sure that this term I have written here that says call this home is not about the concept of something else but what's coming to mind is i was as i was working i i absolutely love when those moments come through when you're if you're younger for me it was listening to this you know the free bird solo on the live album the um if you ever get the leonard skinner extended versions which i don't think is on streaming services i couldn't find on on my favorites um but I owned the extended versions ever since I was younger. And the live version of Freebird on there has my favorite version of the live. It's it's just the way that it's recorded brings everything and pronounces it more emphatically. But uh, certain things when you're younger, you know, probably this everybody loves the guitar solo and the way they wrap up Stairway to Heaven. I'm sure you have your own favorites, but whatever it might be. Um, but the Dave Matthews one, and I always love the lessons that are in the songs, right? Um, to me, now, a great solo has to be introduced by some sort of whimsical lyrics, right? And I've always loved the, this song from Dave Matthews, the Don't Drink the Water. I believe the version that I like the most is from Radio City Music Hall. But the studio version is just fine but if you're going to listen to a live version there's a bunch of different ones um that one in particular i think is my very favorite um, the way the the published lyrics go is now i rest my feet by this fire those hands once warmed here well i have retired them i can breathe my own air and i can sleep more soundly Upon these poor souls, I'll build heaven and call it home. It's really an evil lyric more than it's a... But when you hear those words, call this call this home is what he usually says during the live versions. Um, yeah, it's... it's um, 
it's, it's almost a way to feel um, I don't know if indignant is right the word but it's it's almost a way to feel remorse that's that leads into the last group of lyrics for the song and those those lyrics go like this because you're all dead now and I live with my justice and I live with my greedy need or I live with no mercy and I live with my frenzied feeding I live with my hatred and I live with my jealousy or I live with the notion that I don't need anyone but me don't drink the water there's blood in the water mmm mmm there's your it's like the Grimm Brothers version of Thanksgiving. You know, it's the it's the alternate reality of, you know, what's the price of something. Is that the Daniel Day Lewis movie? I've never watched it, but I hear it's 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 it would be along those lines, right? There will be blood. You know, the the kind of blood diamond with um, Leonardo DiCaprio. Things along those lines of of things that. The true, the true cost of something. So, um, I don't know how you guys feel about that, but hopefully you're you're feeling pretty righteous about whatever decisions you've made out there. You know what I mean? But the Dave Matthews lyric itself is is out there. That's one of those things. Call this home. That might have been what I was talking about. Might not be. Hmm. Anyway, the other the other things, and I'll wrap this up with with because I think this is important. And and if you're listening to this and you want something to take away from the episode, um, think about what things mean to you and what they might or might not mean to somebody else. When I wrote down the emotional mer- emergency term, it came from this uh, exchange that I was having, and. Um, It's one of those things where it's, it, what, had, what had happened was that I was in the middle of something and needed to have my concentration in the role that I was actively in, physically in, right? I'm role modeling, I'm the leader, I'm responsible for things professionally and if someone brings something from my personal life into that through my inbox through my phone or otherwise right i have to say to you hold on hold on now these are the things that are happening right now before me so i don't have it in my i think the words that i used were i don't have the time i don't have the stress the extra in my budget for for now to then pull away from you know this thing in my physical location these responsibilities to then engage in someone's emotional emergency over the telephone and so it was you know as i just said to him i said look just hold on to it write it all out email it to me make a really long message and i'll get back to you when i can and get it out of your system if you need to. Make a recording, a voice, a video, whatever, whatever you like to do. But I don't 
have the leniency. I don't have the flexibility right now to be a part of this. So if that weighs in on you being upset with me or otherwise, I, I, then that is the cost of it. And that's the cost of, as I said earlier, that's the cost of doing business. You're away from your kids, away from your family, away from your loved ones, and otherwise, and you're you're in the moment. And you are doing whatever you need to be doing professionally. That's right. I you know drive a truck for a living, and and you miss birthdays or whatever you might be doing, right? Because that's the cost of doing business. You know, I grew up watching professional wrestling and everything else, and so. Um, those guys always spoke about, you know, you miss birthdays and that's the, the price of fame, right? You miss birthdays and being present and this and that and the other so that you can hopefully deliver a better financial or otherwise life for the people that you are sacrificing for. Now, hopefully, you have a lot of professional fun or otherwise in the meantime. It's not all coming at some, you know, terminal or some terrible cost to you. No guarantee. There's a lot of people, because they're dedicated to their work, who end up with very unhappy households, divorces and otherwise. Because they did not save the day during an emotional emergency. It's just how it is. You know, I, I don't know a good medium for that i mean if, if you are genuinely in the mo- if you're an ambulance driver and your wife calls and she's like ah, you just don't know what's going on in my world right now um honey uh, i'm driving old larry back here to the hospital because he got hit by a bus so do you want me to like pull over and listen to you and now's not the time between the two of you there ought to be enough maturity and wisdom and forethought there ought to be enough consideration to know when it's not the time. Especially if someone speaks up and says, no, no, it's not the time. This is not something that is of a higher priority than, than what's going on right now. You know, and I, I, you're not having an argument about dessert versus appetizers. I mean, in these situations, I'm talking about, you know, folks who are genuinely like, they're having a riffraff about something that yeah, it could be vanity it could be you know you just don't know the dog's barking and uh, i tripped over or something in the floor and spilled water and oh maybe you're having a bad day i mean people have cycles in their life men have mood swings women have mood swings there's biological cycles that go into all this stuff some of them more predictable than others. And I don't pretend that those things aren't important, but you got to remember, you know, if someone else is, you're, you're calling upon them, you're trusting in them and their judgment, and you want them to be part of, you know, the listening and the solution, they may be the, the person who tells you, now is not the time. Hold on. I'll block off some time for you in a little bit. Or in, for me, it might be 10 hours. But I, I will most definitely prioritize you. It's worth, it is with me, right? It's worth the wait. Years ago, there was a conversation that was had. I was late to work. And um, it, was a, it wasn't a, a big deal. I mean, I was, I, uh, was I managing? I was managing at the time. Anyway, somebody told me 
They were working the day shift and I was working the night shift. And I was going to get there. I was. I got there late. I'd call them from my driveway and say, hey, I'm running late. And I didn't tell them I was that late. You know, but they didn't ask if I was five minutes away or 20 minutes away. So when I got there, so-and-so was, was upset with me. They were just unhappy. I said, you could have left. My crew would be shorthanded, but you could have left if you really had to leave, you know. But here's here's the situation when it, when it comes to Michael L. Craver. My crew, the other the folks who work with me on a regular basis, they would rather have me an hour late than have the next guy on time or 15 minutes early. What I bring to the table is is phenomenal. And I hope that you feel the same way about yourself. That ain't true for all of us. We don't all perform at that level. I hope you feel that way. I hope you produce results that are uh, in line with that. But as time has gone on, I've become, you know, even more valuable. And I've got become more responsible about it too and show up because I'm, you know, I'm an example. Many people who are in leadership think this way. They say, hey, can, are you promotable? Are you someone we can give you a, a, can we give you a raise? You want a raise, huh? This is an interesting statement that I've only heard more recently. And it goes like this. You want a raise, you want you know, recognition, compensation, otherwise. All right. Are you making the maximum amount of money that you can make in your current role? Without the raise, do you have incentive-based things or performance-based things? Are you meeting all your metrics? Are you on time? Customer satisfaction is is at an all-time high. You know, there are all these little factors that someone could use. before they need to start looking at administrative ways to increase your potential. Because what they're looking at is, are you already meeting or exceeding your potential? And if the answer is that you are only partially fulfilling, you know, whatever your potential is, They're not going to increase your base pay. If you're not maxing out your bonus, they're not going to increase your base pay. If you're not maxing out all kinds of other metrics, they're not going to even have a discussion with you. Not about raising the rent, not about giving you more money. They'll have a discussion with you about how you can increase everything to get it to the level that they can then give you a raise. But if you're not, uh, Larry, you want to raise, right? Yeah. We're well, supposed to sell five cars a month. You're only selling four. Right, but then four I'm selling are the most expensive cars. That are, okay, but you're not meeting you know, or exceeding your maximum. So they're only going to raise it once you've done that. You know, your house is four floors. 
You only use the top three. Why would we build a fourth and then a fifth floor? Well, uh, you know, I really want a fifth floor, and uh, but you're not using the fourth floor. I fall in line with a lot of these things, or at least that mindset, uh, fundamentally because of many things I discuss on this podcast. You know, compensation uh, is along the same lines of consumption. Are you using what you have? You're not. Then why are you buying anything else? And what are you doing with the old stuff? Is it productive? Is it is it efficient? Is it something that you're doing that's, you know, that is a reasonable discussion for expansion? It's not. Oh. Then why are we talking about investing anymore? You know? It's not one of those things where you're saying, hey, we're not getting all the work done, so we need extra help. We need an extra hand. We're shorthanded. That kind of thing. This is, you know, a, a different take on things where you go, hey, I, I deserve more. I'm entitled to more. Things should change around here. And you go, oh, wow, so you're really breaking records and da 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 No. You're not? Oh. Oh. You're a movie star. I am. I'm a big movie star. Every movie that I do does, you know, in this range. Okay. And you think you can demand more. Well, they may then look at you and say, if your movie's performed at a higher, right, then we'll just do percentages and you would keep more money. But often, people are looking for a guarantee. They like the guaranteed money. They don't like to take the risk. Wait a minute. What? One of my guys, and I'll share this from work. One of my guys was having a discussion with me. He was talking about how the workers are the ones who take all the risk. I said, let me tell you something. That's like telling me that after you took out a car loan, you're the guy taking all the risk because you're making the payments and driving the car. But you ultimately don't have the title to the car until you pay it off. The bank took the risk to let you pay them back. Right or wrong, right? And so until you pay them back, you are using all of their mean, their resources, so to speak, their car etc., to do whatever you're doing, to go out and make the money to pay them back. And if you work for a company where somebody opened the doors and took the risk, etc., etc., then they're providing you the means to do all kinds of things within their system. And I'm sure if you just bust out of the box and everything else, there are means for you to make more money, You know, to get into leadership, to work for companies that have a an incentive-based program, commission, other things like that. That's a wonderful avenue for someone like you to, to pursue because you think that, you know, you have this potential to earn maybe limitless amounts of money and make demands and things, okay? But if I said to you that you walked over to one of these big box stores and you picked up, uh, what's something everybody sells? I don't know, you picked up a candy bar off the shelf. 
Uh, a lot of people sell everyday means now, right? They sell laundry detergent. Even at gas stations, sometimes they sell laundry detergent. And you say, that's right. This guy working at that gas station ought to make more money. He's here every day. The owner's not here. No, he's running the business. He's expanding the business. He's with the board of directors. So they're going to open 600 more locations in the next five years. And that means all of you can make more money because the stock in the company will go up. And then they can do a wage increase. That's supply and demand. All right. But in the meantime, you and your friends want to get paid $28 an hour to work at the 7-Eleven or whatever it might be. You know, we're the ones that are going to get shot during a robbery. You know that when you take the job. And if you don't like that, then go work at some other place where there's risks are not quite as prevalent. Pave roads for for the state or... Work, you know, for the power department where you might get bit by a dog checking meters in the backyard or something. But it changes your complete set of skills that you may or may not need to have, like operating a vehicle or knowledge of electricity. Or you want to be a welder because you are you don't like dealing with customers. Somebody brings you a piece of metal, you weld it, you give it back to a guy, he takes it to the customers. Maybe you have a mail order business, right? So the, the minimal amount of 2023 communication where you are the the person who gets emailed and then you provide whatever products services otherwise digitally to these people but to pretend that the guy who puts on whatever t-shirt or vest or whatever at at some franchise or box store or whatever is is the guy taking all the risk doing all the stuff let me tell you something. If you pay 100 people who work there a higher wage, you know who pays more money? Joe and Jill and Jack and Larry. The customers. They're going to they're gonna pass the, the wage on, the cost on to the customers. They're going to externalize the cost, like I talked about earlier in the episode. Now, there's a certain customer base who enjoys... The finer things. I talked about this earlier in the episode too, right? The finer things in life. So do they pay the salesman at the Ferrari dealership more than the guy at the Chevy? I, I would hope so. But it's a harder job to get. And not everybody's got the means to do that. Is, is there a social class of people who enjoy shopping at the um, whatever place because they know they pay people more money and, and it's supposed to be um, a higher kind of thing? What, uh, what would be a good example? It's Costco's or Trader Joe's or something of this nature, right? Pay people a higher wage, better benefits, etc. People go in there and they shop at these places and they walk out with, a you know, six pounds of grapes for $4. But I am not, I'm, I'm a, I'm all about the, uh, you know, what's the temperature tomorrow? What's, what's our consumption doing to these things and i was shopping and i was i'll share this story because i don't think my mom would find this derogatory or anything we were at costco she's home for the weekend she's consulting in and out of town she's in town for three days let's put this cigar down she's at the costco she is loading her cart up with things that she likes. She likes lobster bisque soup and and uh, whatever the crab one is they have. And 
She likes to have some grapes and some things for, for the grandkids and her family and this and that and the other. Right? She's only going to be home for a couple days. But she asked me to go out with her and run around and spend some time with her. And I'm like, yo, that's enough blueberries for like two weeks. You're only home for two days. And the, the statement that I made to her was a very simple mathematical statement. You are putting this many calories into your cart, but you're only going to be home long enough to consume this much lower amount of calories. What are you going to do with all the extra food? And she's just like, ah, Michael. Well, hmm. And then she started thinking about it. She was like, well, this grandkid loves this and somebody else loves that. And I said, great. Call them over. Call them over when we get home. And go ahead and divide all this food up and send it out to them. Send, give them flare, fresh blueberries and meet with them while you're in town and, and have a good visit and you know send them on their ways with some goodies, which I think is how it played out. It was a wonderful um, and very effective way that everything essentially found a purpose. Whereas, you know, yeah, you could go out car shopping every week, but you got two feet and two hands that can only be in one vehicle at a time. What are you going to do with all them other cars in the driveway? You know, I'm sure the guy at Ford appreciates if you buy six Mustangs. What are you going to do with them? Well, uh, I need one for every day of the week. <laughs> like, like, what? You know. It's more to maintain. It's more to have to house. It's, it's all this other that goes along with it, right? You could do so many other things with some of that money. And that's what, part of what I was talking about earlier in the episode about the, the, um, the complexity of how I plan to spend my future. And part of that complexity is, you know, am I going to spend my time earning, you know, dedicating more of myself into a, a profession or, or having more days and more availability and more resources tied, stress and otherwise, tied into my away-from-home life. Okay, what does, that, what does that mean for my retirement? What does that mean for my future? Am I, okay, so you do all this work now so that you hopefully can enjoy the money or, or the fruits of the labor later, or do I feel like I have a pretty good balance at this point? And, and I'm willing to, and I've always been that guy. I've got a pretty good balance now. I'll figure the future out as it comes. So when you address these things that other folks are going on, uh, having you know issues with, these emotional emergencies, uh, are you investing into your relationship with them? Or is, is delaying the conversation going to, are you ever going to get to where you want to go with it, right? If you just stop what you're doing right now and address these things, what are the possible scenarios for how that plays out, right? You pull yourself away from your, your immediate responsibilities and say, hold on now, I'm going to do this other thing. Everybody has to understand because, you know, if you, if you pull over in traffic or you stop your car in the middle of the road, everybody's got to drive around you. Right. If you run out of gas, you know, right now you, oh, what am I going to do? Oh, I didn't get gas. And now I've got to call somebody and they got to get me gas. And I'm on the side of the road and it's hot and it's, right. Or if you actively are looking at all of these moving elements, you're aware of your surroundings, this good peripheral vision, this good long term vision. You can negotiate obstacles so much 
easier. If you were doing track and field, you wouldn't want to do it with blindfold on, right? You run into the hurdles. You wouldn't know where they are and when to jump. The easier it is to see them, the, the better it is that you know. Oh, I only barely cleared that last one. Maybe I need to jump a little bit sooner. Maybe, maybe I could jump a little bit later. Get a better stride. Have a better time. A better result. And as you negotiate the the emotional things in a relationship, whether it's a family person, whether it's a loved one, you, you know, you want to pursue marriage with with a person, it's extremely important to have some kind of faith in one another. Where if a person says to you, "Hold on, I'm you know I do this for a living, and so I'm tied to a situation, to a meeting, to a client." to a service I'm providing, and I, I'm just not going to get back with you right away. It's easier to understand that uh, and know it going forward. And, you know, maybe if, if there is a true, you know, hey, wait a minute, this is an emergency, the person can step away. And, and maybe what you do for them as a courtesy, and I always think this is a great thing to do if, if you love somebody or, you know, especially if you're bringing something to a supervisor or a boss or otherwise, I, I, I appreciate it. I've always done it for the people I've worked for. Come to them with possible avenues for where to go. Hey, I just need a yes or no on this. Uh, what do you think? And that makes life so much easier for them because you've kind of figured it out. You just need permission, yes or no. Hey, I'm thinking about going to a concert this summer. Yeah, which one? Uh, I don't know. All right, well, now what do you want me to tell you? Look it up. I hope you have fun. I hope it works out. But if you come to me and say, hey, I have tickets to this show on this day, and, and, you know, can you go with me? It certainly gives you something that you can modestly work with. And if you come to me with an emotional emergency, somebody else with one, and you say, oh, can you listen, can you listen to me? Can you, I, I'm, I need to clear my head. I need to be heard. Throw it at me. Now, if you do it in a way where they have no idea how long this is going to take, man, that's a different thing. Hey, can I have 10 minutes of your time? Okay. That means you're responsible and accountable. They're responsible and accountable. You're going you're gonna to tie those things together. You're going to have a 10-minute-ish conversation. And if you are not able to, to do that, you're giving them, you know, you're trying to write yourself a blank check, so to speak. And that's something I'm, I'm not comfortable with doing, and I I'm quite frankly don't encourage and, and don't really accept from other people to me. What, do I talk about having like an open-door policy and stuff like that? I, I do, but there's, you know, it's, it's like any other place. This is open to the public from these hours to these hours, and anything else is considered, you know, perhaps out of bounds, perhaps an emergency, because I have a very reasonable window for when these things can occur. And so if you then are trying to have extraordinary needs or circumstances, realize you may be asking the other person to also do something extraordinary. And you can't, and this is the problem that I've had throughout my whole life. People, you know, something will happen and they'll go, yeah, that's, that's probably Michael. <laughs> Look, just because I'm capable of something doesn't mean that I'm automatically responsible for it. There's a lot of things that have happened in my life, you know, things that have been said, whatever it is, and people have kind of turned, uh, you know, what would have been the corner of their eye, they've now turned their head, and I'm in their headlights. And they're like, hey, I heard something. Well, don't look at me. I'm just Michael Craver. Yeah, but 
you know, there's only a few people that, you know, this is a narrow list of suspects. Like, I get it, I'm extremely flattered by all of that crap. But the reality of it is, everything that is extraordinary or some whimsical thing or some, you know, note or whatever it is that's left around, somebody bought donuts or whatever, it doesn't mean I'm automatically responsible. There's other people who do wonderful things every single day. Part of the reason that I share this podcast and I brainstorm out loud for anybody else to hear is hopefully they take the good things and they ignore the bad, well, not ignore, but they... Um, they collect the bad ideas and put them into a, a separate kind of what-if scenario as well. And they go, okay, here's the good things that could happen. Here's the what-if, the bad things that could happen. And they weigh it out, and they, they make the best decision to, to get on the positive side, avoid the negative side, and it's all done, as I said earlier, with the best of intentions. So if you're conscious of all those things, you may precursor it and say, hey, look, I know what could go right and what could go wrong. So here's what we're trying for, all right? Ain't a perfect world. That's not an excuse for you to get out of a situation. It's just letting you know what the risk is. I may really enjoy these uh, Swisher Sweets little cigars. But in big letters, bigger than it says little cigars, it says warning cigar smoking can cause lung cancer and heart disease. So guess what I know going into the situation? One of the possible outcomes. You know. I work around all kinds of dangerous situations and heavy equipment and people who are tired and everything else. I am too. I've never seen anybody more tired than I was two nights ago. I was up 17 hours one day, worked, you know, thinking, oh, I'm going to have this big, you know, you know, four days off, three and a half days off, whatever. I rounded up, right? Sounds better that way. And, and here I am. Now I'm, wait a minute, things changed. Yeah, next time I will most definitely get all the sleep I can up front. And that way, there's no possibility for me to be all, you know, silly, red-eyed, needing eye drops at the the food line grocery store, looking at, you know, I'm, I'm running to the bathroom. Oh my God, I've been holding, and I had, I've been holding, you know, the bathroom from when I was at work to when I was going to get home, but I stuff for groceries in between, and oh. And I'm washing my hands and I look up and I go, oh my God, you know, I look like a zombie. This one, And she meant well. This woman told me a couple of weeks ago, she said, you're going home and going to sleep, right? And I was like, are you asking me? Like, Can I ask why you're asking that? And she said, because you, you look like you hadn't slept in about 40 years. And I was like, oh my, <laughs> oh my Lord, why did you say that to me? But, you know. She meant well, I'm sure. It was encouragement to get some sleep. Did I, could I, would I have, should I have taken it some other way? No, I'm not, I'm not, I don't do that. It's part of my genetic makeup to, to consider all the positive possibilities before the negative ones. So, you know. Anyway, look, I've got to get a shower. I've got to meet some wonderful young men. They are young men. They are to me. You might get to hear me cry on the podcast. Um, but no, I, I genuinely, generally think of people from my youth at the stage that I met them when I was younger. Or at some, you know, younger, more um, of a premium point in our lives. When we had youth and time and everything else on our side. 
Uh, you know, I... Yeah, I mean, I, I work for a living. I see the scars. If I look down at my hand right now, there's there's a big a big cut on my right hand uh, where I... Oh, I hit it on something metal. I was moving it between two pieces of something, and it went bling. And I was like, oh, my God. And later it surfaced, and there was blood running out of it and everything else. I said, oh, my goodness. And so I had to wipe my hand up. I don't want to get blood on everywhere. But, I, you know, I've seen my uncle's hands and people that, you know, my father, everybody else. You know, we age, and our skin does this, and time does that. And it ain't the most beautiful thing in the world. There's other people who will tell you opposite. And they'll look at someone who's got that war map on their, you know, there's a scene in the Sackets where uh, Sam Elliott's sitting down. And I cannot remember the other actor's name. Anyway, the Sackets is this wonderful Louis L'Amour adaptation that I, I don't know if you can find it. It's probably on YouTube for free, to be honest with you. But they're sitting in this, in this, um, Stop. I don't know if it, it's not really a saloon. It's somewhere they sat down to eat in the Old West. The woman's name is Rosie. And they see her. And Rosie knows the other guy. And she tells him what a wonderful guy she is. And I got two big steaks back there with your name on them. And she makes these steaks and brings them out to Sam Elliott and the other guy. And they're sitting down having their supper, eating steaks in this old joint. This young kid is at the bar and he's drinking whiskey. He tells him he he's he's trying to scream at him and yell at him to get him to go outside and have a gunfight. He said, "You hear me, you worn out old buzzard." <laughs> Sam Elliott pulls his pistol out and lays it on the table. That kid comes over here and says, I know you hear me, old grandpa, or whatever he says to him, you know. And Sam Elliott tells him, he said, son, them wrinkles on that man's face are war maps. He's, he's something about you've seen, he's seen things you can't imagine, something of that nature, right? The kid looks at him with all this, you know, he's kind of got a glare in his eye. Like he's going, he's going to have a gunfight with somebody who's who is somebody, maybe you know something like that. So he gives him a look, and he says something back to him, and Sam Elliott's sitting there, he just keeps on cutting that steak and eating his dinner with his head down. <laughs> the other guy too. Turns to him after the last thing this kid says where he's trying to egg him on. He's going to have a gunfight. They're going to, you know, have a shootout in the street and go out there and draw. Well, that ain't how it goes. He, say, he says... He says something about how he's annoying. He kisses, what you trying to call me? He says, what's that pistol for anyway? And he says, it's for shooting varmints. He says, what you calling me? He said, a pest. <laughs> so he won't, he won't speak his language. He won't call him what he wants to be able to have a gunfight. I guess this is the, the, the etiquette they have back in the day, right? You got to directly call him a, uh, 
with some kind of thing that's a confrontational word, you know, in direct reply to him. That that initiates the now we can shoot it out kind of thing. And the kid says whatever else he says to him about how he's going, you know, he's going to do his deed. He's going to, he wants to fight and he wants to draw that gun. He wants to shoot him. Well, he ain't going to get shot today. Nobody else going to get shot today. As Sam Elliott looks at him, he says, he says, you're you're a nuisance. He says, says, you keep talking that way, you're going to force me to take hold of that pistol. Then I'm going to have to kill you. And killing don't mix well with a man's supper. (laughs) And the kid looks at him. (laughs) And he walks away. And I just remember looking at, you know, Looking at the TV, and I thought, you know, this is Louis L'Amour must have written that. I've never read much of his books, but my dad loves all things Louis L'Amour. I bought him a lot of Louis L'Amour books. And I thought, you know, that's just classy, right? He could have gone out there. He could have destroyed this kid. He kept him alive. He told him something. He said, killing don't mix well with a man's supper. And I just thought, you know, everybody else loves the car crash. They love to watch the movie where something's going to happen and then somebody's going to get what's coming to them. That's why you watch wrestling. You watch the bad guy do all this and this and this so that the good guy is eventually going to get a hold of him and wring his neck. This guy's been talking bad about America. You know, well, here comes Hulk Hogan and he's going to get you, brother. You know, sometimes it's that priceless wisdom that level head that'll keep your conscience clear and keep somebody from experiencing disaster. Now, I often think patience is the right word, the right action in most situations. The more of these situations I run across, I tell people, just hold on to it and we'll talk about it once you've had time to think about it. It has served me very well. Is it selfish because I won't talk to them right away? No, I'm doing something else. I'm usually working for a living. I'm Well, mentally engaged in something. It's, and I don't know if it's my, you know, it's, it's almost like a productive personality or the Asperger's or whatever it is. But so much of my life is this sort of... Um, I'm in the middle of doing one thing right now, but I've already thought what I'm going to do 10 steps ahead. Right now it's 724. This may be one of the longest podcasts I've, I've recorded, right? I'm going to take this because I divided this into chapters while I got up during bathroom breaks. I didn't tell you when that was, but I pause it and then I put them together. I'm going to put this together with a little opening music. I'm going to put the closing song from Manchester Orchestra and to, featuring Tom Morello. It's really Tom Morello featuring Manchester Orchestra. You figure that out. How does the guitar player feature feature the lyricist, the vocalist? I don't know. But I'm going to take this, and I'm going to put it together, and I'm going to upload it, and I'm going to get a shower, and then I'm going to head off to breakfast, and I'm going to do some volunteer work, and I will have been up all night long. But I'm not going to let anybody else know, as I'm seeing them today, that I am just completely wiped out. 
or I have an excuse for not having the best energy or otherwise. I'm going to give them the best moment that I can give them in the moment. And sometimes the best thing that you can do for someone is to let them be patient, let them be self-reliant, and let them come back after they've composed themselves. Let them develop independence and some sort of reflection, this self Uh, indulging is not the right word, but they need to be a, a sort of emotional detective that's digging at themselves to, to crack their case and know, oh my God, I got this. I can do this. I don't have to have somebody else. Now, that doesn't mean that now they're going to, you know, cut you out of their life. Hopefully, they'll appreciate that you knew when was the right time to save the day and when was the right time to tell them to be the the better person the stronger person a more um confident person than they were they came to you for help i'll give you some help boy you know no sometimes the help that they need is to be able to look within what is the the line yeah, salvation comes from within. And then he hands him the Bible. It's the line from the Shawshank Redemption where the the um, the warden is holding the book that has the hammer that Andy Dufresne is going to use to get out of the prison. But he never opens the Bible. He asks Andy what his favorite Bible verse is. And he says something about, uh, for ye not know when the master comes or something right and the warden uh turns to him and he says you know he, he likes that one and he says salvation comes from within and then he hands him the bible back through the bars um sort of you know had he looked in there otherwise the movie would have turned out differently but uh yeah a lot of times your your salvation your answer comes from inside of you it's not going to come from somebody else Ultimately, you have to be happy with yourself to be a better partner for other people, to be a better worker, mother, father, family member, to have a better culture. You have to have amazing individuals. We can't all be half of each other, and our other half belongs to somebody else. If each of the corner posts of our home, the foundation of our home, can only hold up half of its potential, we can only have half the home. Anything else will overload the system. If you're 100% and I'm 100%, together we're 200%. Hmm. If you're 50 and I'm 50, together we're 100%. Yeah, but you're two people. Shouldn't you be more than 100%? Think about it. I think it's important to be uh, a worthwhile cause, but not a lost cause. Thank you for spending such a long time listening to me if you made it this far. I hope that you've had a wonderful uh, summer, and uh, I will pull together some other things uh, for the next podcast. Heard, not herded. Yeah. And the adventure one sounds fun too, but I'll get into that later. <laughs>
Have a great day. This has been another episode of Michael L. Craver Presents.